time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't believe it's September, guys. I really can't. And usually when I see the month of September coming, I get super excited because in years past, I've been a high school football official and and you generally start in August now, I know, but uh, Labor Day weekend, which is upcoming, uh, three-day weekend and everything. That's kind of the start of the college football season. Um, but it's very different this year. There's just everything's so different. I can't say it enough, but you, you've all experienced it. I do know that I'm very surprised that it is September already here. And uh, September 1st, I mean, here it is. I, I uh, When the quarantine p- pandemic, it all started in March. I didn't know how time was going to go. But actually, for me, it's gone by pretty quick, even though haven't been working, just been doing this podcast and – Waiting around, I guess. So still job hunting and everything, but uh, that's kind of what I've been up to. And I hope everyone else out there is enjoying these uh, changing of the calendars, if you will, every single month. Uh, August flew by and all the other months, I mean, they're just, I can't believe they're behind us already. But anyway, uh, guys, starting off today, I do want to say a few words about two people who uh, unfortunately are no longer with us. Um, Chad Bozeman was an actor. And he was probably best known for his role as Jackie Robinson in the movie 42, which wasn't too long ago, a couple of years ago. And, and I thought his job in that movie, it was uh, 2013. So seven years ago, I thought his job as a, his portrayal of Jackie Robinson was pretty well done. Um, he, he has, he had some other work he had done, you know, he kind of was just one of those steady guys that had, consistent roles and was always kind of in a movie. I know he was in the black Panther. I never saw that, but uh, he was just kind of always there, but his, his best, uh, the movie I, I enjoyed seeing him uh, in the most was definitely the 42 and Jackie Robinson story. Um, but anyway, Mr. Bozeman, 43 years old, uh, passed away on Sunday from uh, colon cancer. And apparently he had been struggling uh, fighting this basically and didn't really tell too many people. And uh, it's really sad that, that he is no longer with us because I thought he was a tremendous actor. And like I said, uh, he's who I will think of when I think of Jackie Robinson. But what what was interesting to me about Chadwick Boseman, I didn't know much about him or any, I didn't, you know, no one knew that he was sick. No one knew that he was fighting colon cancer. And it's just really sad to see someone pass away that early, so young, 43 years old. But to know that somebody was carrying this with them, carrying this sickness, and they knew they probably didn't have, you know, long to live, I'm I'm assuming, I don't know. Uh, You would have never known it though. I mean, the guy carried himself like there was uh, no, no problems, no issues going on. And, And I think we can all learn a lot from that. I mean, no... No day on this earth is guaranteed to any of us. 
And so I think the challenge to myself uh, every day is that what did you do with today? You can think about tomorrow, you can reflect on on yesterday, but what are you doing with today? So in moving forward, that's the challenge I'm going to have with myself. I don't know about you guys. I've looked for a lot of different motivation here these past few months regarding COVID-19, the lockdown, just this awful year of 2020, and and one more just absolute uh, shot to the gut in, in losing uh, Chadwick Boseman at such a young age. Every, you know, actors, com- the athletes, musicians, the, the, every time some one of them dies, you know, it, it makes news um, because they are famous people. But it's just, it's really sad when someone dies at such a young age, at 43 years old. And so uh, I know a lot of people were hurting on Sunday and, and on Monday thinking about Chadwick Boseman, but it just goes to show guys, nothing's guaranteed. And, and we got to do everything we can to live our lives, uh, embrace the opportunities we have, the ability to treat people well. I mean, we got to do the things we can control. And I think I take my hat off to Chadwick Boseman because there's someone that you, you, none of us did know. And I was going to say, you never would have known that he had uh, cancer. Um, just the way he carried himself uh, had to just have been a, an absolute fighter, uh, someone who who was not going to let it hold him back, and it absolutely didn't. So thoughts and prayers to uh, the Chadwick Boseman family, gone way too soon. On Monday, um, early breaking news was that John Thompson passed away, the legendary basketball coach from Georgetown, 78 years young, um, you know, there is no appropriate age for someone to pass away. But, you know, when you see someone like Chadwick Bozeman lose their life at such a young age, and then you see someone like John Thompson, who was much older, almost twice as old. And uh, I got to say about John Thompson, I don't know a lot about him, but I will say that he got a lot out of life. Let me tell you, I, I, I was very, uh, he jumped out to me, we'll say, when I watched the Requiem for the Big East, which was a ESPN documentary. And it was fantastic. It's one of the best ones they've ever done. And, and it talked a lot about all the coaches from the Big East, how it was a basketball conference in the Northeast up there, kind of forgotten, right, amongst all the uh, rest of the uh, the country and, and basketball landscape. Georgetown, Syracuse, St. John, all those teams. And John Thompson being the legendary coach for Georgetown basically put – Georgetown on the map. Um, they won the nineteen eighty four national championship, and and Thompson went to I think three other, two other Final Fours, so three Final Fours. And I was really impressed by just I don't know the way he carried himself and and how he he John Thompson just like the other coaches in that conference at that time, which was this like. Uh, the glory days, if you will, for college basketball in the Big East, they embraced carrying the load, carrying the weight of, hey, we're taking this conference and these players, these arenas, these coaching staff, taking all of it to the next level. And so there may be a lot of things competitors would say they didn't like John Thompson for, but, but I think at the end of the day, when all the competition is done, everyone's a human being and uh, even your fiercest of uh, rivals, I'm sure, uh, you know, are, are shedding a tear for the loss of uh, John Thompson. I can't imagine someone like uh, Jim Beheim 
is, uh, you know, I, I got to imagine, excuse me, I got to imagine he, he's pretty sad today because they had some just fierce competitions against each other. Two big personalities, Jim Beheim and John Thompson. So uh, much like Chadwick Bozeman, although Mr. Bozeman was much younger, uh, gone too soon. And I will say this, I always appreciated John Thompson on the radio doing college basketball games during the NCAA tournament. I thought he was really good at it. I don't always like former coaches or former players who, you know, are the giving the being the analyst, I guess, if you will, not the broad, not the play by play, but the analyst. Uh, but I thought he did a great job. He, he really took you kind of inside the huddles almost during timeouts and everything. So those are my thoughts of John Thompson and Chadwick Bozeman today. Two, two men that are just gone far too soon. And uh, you know, one, one with cancer and I, and I forgive me, I didn't, see the uh, the cause of death of mr john thompson but i know he's an older gentleman and uh just absolute thoughts and prayers to the family uh what a life i think we were all blessed with the opportunity to not only see them uh chadwick bozeman act but also to see the the coaching job that john thompson had the big personality right very big guy huge guy uh and i i do know that he had a big impact on a lot of young men who played college basketball for him so I uh, just wanted to say a few words about those guys. And uh, I know a lot of other people are thinking about both of those, uh, both of those men uh, today and, and uh, in previous days. Well, guys, uh, a couple other things as we move along here. Um, Valerie and I, we've been watching some shows these past few months. Uh, we try to pick one and just kind of attack that, right? And maybe get one episode a night in or something like that. Well, we finished up the Narcos stuff. Uh, Narcos, Mexico and and man, by the time it was all done with that, I was like, okay, I need a change of pace. <laughs> no, no more murders and drug deals and all this stuff. I was like, okay, let's let's try something else out. Well, we had heard great things about that new show Yellowstone, and I'm like, all right, I'm always skeptical. I don't always do what's popular. I, I use I use the guy that watches something years after it's already been out. But I said, let's give it a try, and, and I will say that uh, so far, three three episodes in. I've really enjoyed Yellowstone. And again, these these are not for everyone, right? Every, different people listen to this show. But but for me, I, it definitely had my interest and Valerie's as well. So trying out new things. I think uh, for those of you looking for a show to watch, uh, I think the hype is, is real. And uh, yeah, check it out for sure. Um, big news on Saturday. I, I mentioned it yesterday on the podcast, but college football is back or was back, I should say, on Saturday. And uh, two teams you've probably never heard of, Austin P and Central Arkansas, right? Division One AA. For those of you who listened on the Friday uh, podcast, Scott Root was a white hat in the big sky. Those teams aren't in that conference, but Scott officiates at that level. The big sky is FCS, One AA. So I watched uh, the second half of that game with a couple friends at the house after we got back from a little, little trip into the mountains, kind of. And... Man, what what a game. Central Arkansas beats Austin P. Kind of went down to the wire last second. I don't think you could have scripted it any better. And a uh, great start to the college football season. And I will say, what a start to the game. 75-yard uh, touchdown on the very first play of the game. If you were hungry for some college football and for some excitement, you definitely got it on Saturday night. It was the only game going on. But in looking forward, guys, this weekend is supposed to be the huge college football opening weekend. Uh, we're not going to have that, but we are going to have some fo- college football games. Uh, th- these are schools, again, 
similar to Saturday where you may not know some of their names or be all that interested, but I do think uh, there is a bigger interest amongst college football fans just because they're thirsty. They're starving for some, for some college football. And especially when people kind of get angry at maybe some of the other sports and some of the policies and things they're doing, I think people are, are definitely going to give their time to maybe some college football over the weekend. And, and there's no big name against the central Arkansas, who we mentioned on, on Saturday, they're playing again on Thursday against the uh, UAB. There's another game that night, Southern Alabama or South Alabama and Southern Miss. And then there is six games slated on Saturday. And then the big one, Monday night, Labor Day, BYU against Navy. So it's really cool that uh, it's here. It's a week away. And I know the bigger conferences are playing later in the month of September. And that's fine. It's just pretty cool to to think that not only did we have pro sports back, but now kind of college football is, is getting things in motion here uh, after – a few weeks ago hearing that, you know, the big 10 pac 12 and maybe other conferences weren't going to play football in the fall. So this is definitely something uh, that's comforting to, for me and looking forward that college football is here. It's here to stay and hopefully there's no issues and hopefully everybody stays safe uh, moving forward here with college football. Very excited about it. Uh, one other note um, today on the program related to college football, I should have mentioned him earlier, but Frank VR is on the show today, and Frank VR is a big-time college football official. He works in the Pac-12. He was an umpire for many years, which is the official that's in the middle of the field, basically right in the middle of the linemen and the linebackers and everything. Uh, if, if you've seen Pac-12 games, I'm sure you've seen Frank many times. He recently made the transition to referee, the white hat position, the crew chief, and this was going to be his first year being a full-time white hat in the Pac-12. Unfortunately, they are not playing their season this year. Well, anyway, Frank uh, was gracious enough to, to sit down and, and talk with me last week, and we had a nice little recording uh, just talking about football and uh, his rise through various levels to get to really uh, outside of the NFL. I mean, he's really one of the top officials uh, in, in the country, in the college football ranks. And he also has some experience in professional football. I will explain. Uh, Frank has worked the college football national championship game twice. And no, I'm not talking about division three, division two. I'm talking about 2013 Alabama versus Notre Dame, as well as his second national championship game just a few months ago in January of 2020. Clemson and LSU. So I know you college football fans, uh, you know, you remember those games and you're going to talk, you're going to hear from somebody today that was on the field for both of those games. And the Notre Dame Alabama game was, was a blowout in Miami. And then the, the LSU Clemson game was, uh, was in note, was in, uh, excuse me, New Orleans close game for a while. And, and Frank's going to touch on you know, kind of what that experience was like both times working those games. Uh, and, and in January of 2020, uh, he made mention of that the president of the United States was actually there at the game. So that uh, just kind of changed things up even more. So Frank's got a ton of experience working college football, working all levels of football. He's worked in the American uh, Alliance of American Football, which is the AAF, uh, another pro league that, that tried to kick off in the spring a, a couple of uh, springs ago. And then most recently, Frank was also in the XFL. So Frank has a ton 
of football experience. You're going to hear a lot about officiating, what the process is like. He's just Mr. Football. And uh, I know Frank because when I started high school football back in 2007, Frank was my first year instructor. I had two other instructors as well, but Frank, uh, Frank was somebody that had an impact on me and a lot of other officials and encourage guys to come out and watch and learn. And he's just somebody that really loves uh, giving back. You know, maybe it's cliche to say that, but he, he does. He loves talking football, educating football uh, officials. And he, he's just somebody you guys are going to really enjoy uh, talking or he loves not talking to listening to here in the upcoming interview. Uh, we'll get right to that in a second, but I do want to say Frank's also, well, and we touch on a little bit in the, interview, but Frank's also a hockey fan, big LA Kings fan. We talk, we touch on that a little bit, but I do want to say, you know, as of Monday evening, you know, the NHL is down to four playoff series here. I don't know how much you guys are watching or not. It was kind of weird going into Monday night that all four series were, were a three games to one. And I know that uh, by the time you guys are hearing this, that maybe the two games from Monday night could have, uh, that could have ended up series clinching wins. I don't know. But definitely check check that out, guys. Pretty soon here, hockey's going to be down to its final four. Whether it's uh, whether both uh, of the favorites kind of finish out the series, and we know that by Tuesday night, or if maybe the series gets extended a little bit more. But before you know it, seems like hockey just started started, and they could be down to the final four here very very soon. So I, I know Frank, your Kings aren't in it. Our Kings aren't in it, I should say. But uh, it's definitely been intriguing to watch a little playoff hockey here and there. Well, guys, that's about all I have today. Uh, I, I said, you guys know that uh, me and Bill Barnes get together every Wednesday to have our our uh, conversation out for you guys. And I'm saving a lot of my thoughts on some other things for Bill Barnes tomorrow. But I thought there were some other issues I wanted to talk about today. Uh, Mr. John Thompson, Mr. Chadwick Bozeman uh, passing away. Uh, the excitement kind of around college football and just a few other things regarding Mr. Frank V are coming on the program. So that's it for me today. We will, uh, I'll be back with a, another fun introduction tomorrow as we have our weekly Wednesday weigh in with Bill Barnes, who actually worked football with Frank VR back when Frank was a division three official uh, working his way up through the ranks. And there were some really good crews that, uh, Frank VR was working on and Bill Barnes for his short time. He was working in college football uh, Bill was was working with Frank and around some very good individuals uh, on the college football field, the guys who are in the NFL now, guys who are in Division One now. So uh, Frank will tell you about that story as well as we uh, talk about Bill Barnes a little bit towards the end of our conversation. But let's get right to it. Let's not waste any more time. You don't want to, guys don't want to hear me talk anymore. You guys want to hear uh, the big-time college football official that is Frank VR and two-time national championship game official and then moving forward, Frank's going to talk about some of the uh, future goals and things he looks forward to, not just being a white hat in the NFL, or excuse me, a white hat in college football, but also in looking forward and being on the NFL's developmental list and maybe getting some opportunities here in the future. So we shall see. We'll let Frank tell you all about it. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump right into our interview with Frank VR. <music> Okay, joining us today on the program is Mr. Frank VR. There's no other way to describe Frank really, except that he is Mr. Football. That's all I can say. He loves the game. He's been around it a long time. Uh, he's currently a Pac-12 
referee. He just was recently promoted to the white cap position. Uh, Frank has experience also working in the XFL, the Alliance uh, Football League that, that happened a couple se- or summer ago or spring ago. Uh, but he's been in the college game a long time, experience in the Mountain West, the Big 12, the Pac-12. He's also has two national championship football games under his belt. In 2013, he worked the Alabama versus Notre Dame football game uh, in, for the national championship. And most recently, he was on the field for the 2020 national championship game between LSU and Clemson. So a lot to talk about. We'll cover it all. Let's say hello first. Mr. Frank VR. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Man, uh, Frank, you know, there's a lot of different football topics we got here to cover. Uh, Your resume speaks for itself. Uh, So I'm very humbled that you took some time to sit down with us here. Uh, But for me, Frank, uh, our paths cross when I started football back in 2007. And it was with the Foothill Citrus Unit. I had no idea what I was getting into, who I would meet, uh, how this officiating world was going to go. And I was just a first year instructor and you happened to be in the Foothill Citrus unit at the time. And you were actually one of my three instructors alongside Vince Flores and, and Bob Lamb. So uh, do you remember kind of teaching that first year class for a couple of years? I, I do. It was, it was fun. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been in education and, you know, it, 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 it's a good way for me to kind of reinforce some of the things I learned um, by, by teaching it and, uh, and helping younger officials and newer officials uh, get involved and stay involved with football. And I think what you said about you going to, your, to watching a game and not knowing what you were getting into, I think if you talk to a lot of officials, they'll say the exact same thing. And it was exactly what I felt when I first got involved with football and went to my first game as a, as a fourth official. Like, you know, what am I getting myself into and, and, and where is this going to take me? Um, and it's been a great ride. Well, I was, uh, I, w- I was just so overjoyed with it the second I got involved in it. I, I just fell in love with the sport, with the officiating side of it, that is. And I remember you and the other instructors, you, you told us in that classroom, in that, uh, that hot, hot August uh, classroom, <laughs> you said, you said, guys, if you're going to learn a few things here weekly in the classroom, but if you really want to learn uh, and observe, you got to get out two games. You've got to go watch varsity guys work, not only Friday nights, but Thursday nights. And you need to, uh, you can get in the game free. You can stand on the sideline and watch us uh, up close. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, that's awesome. Like we can go and stand on the sideline and watch the guys work and be with the crew. I was like, I'm all in. So for the first 10 weeks or whatever, or all the whole season, I was there every Thursday or Friday night watching a varsity crew. I learned so much so fast uh, from the welcoming group of Foothill Citrus. And uh, I think it was really beneficial to me. And I know it's been beneficial to other guys uh, to go out and watch crews work like you guys suggested. Yeah, it's, it's, you can't really uh, teach it in the classroom. It's, it's not something like, you know, math where you can, learn it on the whiteboard and you practice your, your, you know, the, the, the problems and the formulas, you, you really have to get out there and, and watch how the game progresses and how the officials interact with the players and, and what their movements are, how they kind of see the game. You have to kind of get that perspective. Well, it, it's funny that 
you know, I, I, I remember, I think it was Bob Lamon. He said, first year, guys, we're just going to teach, teach you where do you stand? What do you look at? Kind of. And then there's so much just basics, right? And then there's so much more that goes into it. I realized in watching you guys right off the bat in a varsity game, like physically watching you guys every move that there was so much going on. Uh, even before kickoff, I mean, just arriving, having a pregame, checking the chains, talking to coaches, all these different things before you even kick off. And I'm like, oh man, I, I really need to pay attention because there's a lot of things to soak up here. And I'll never forget the first game I went to. I, I, you, you said where you were working and it was at La Puente High School. And those aren't, it was La Puente against Ontario. And, and those aren't any kind of juggernauts or anything, but it was a Thursday night in August, week zero. Uh, I, I don't know how I remember this stuff. Frank, but I do. Uh, it was Mike Gotro, yourself, Glenn Hughes, Jim Johnson, and Rocky Better. I walked in the locker room and said hello to you guys. I actually ended up working the ch- on the chain crew that night because someone didn't show up, so I was slinging the chain around. But I learned so much from you guys, and you guys were so welcoming to me. I, I, it's a it's a great fraternity to which to belong, and I think everyone who has who has worked football has, has done the same thing. You know, everybody starts out as a as a first-year official, not knowing a whole lot. And they kind of go through the same process. They go and watch games. They observe. Everybody's been in your shoes. So for the most part, you know, the guys really want to help the new officials learn, uh, get them involved, show them the ropes um, so that they, they, they get an understanding for the game. And more importantly, they like it and they so they can stay with it. You know, You know, we can get into – the, the state of officiating as far as numbers go. And that's, you know, that could be a whole podcast in, in and of itself, but <laughs> you know, we lose officials for, for various reasons. Some guys don't have fun. And I think it's, it's, it's incumbent upon the veteran officials to try and break it down and make it, make it fun to learn and, and, and to stay involved. And in turn, you know, guys like yourself, uh, you know, you, you did the same thing. You gave back to the association you mentored uh, younger, newer officials, and, and that cycle continues. And that's what, you know, the, the the officiating community needs to keep the numbers up and to keep the, the game going. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, I will say it's different than other sports. Some of the other sports do a pretty good job of it, but I think football ultimately does the best job of it, at bringing people along and kind of just, just really being there, kind of mentoring everybody if they're willing to learn and listen. Uh, well, Frank, you got your start actually in the San Gabriel Valley unit. Uh, and I, and I got to ask you a question here because I'm a real Hondo Prep alum. And I know a lot of the alumni listen to this program, some of my friends and such. So do you have any memories or experiences from working games over at Real Hondo Prep? I do. We, uh, some of our, my first varsity assignments were, were over at Rio Hondo Prep, and, and at the time they were uh, eight-man football games. And it, it was, I loved it because it was a little bit faster, but in a, in a kind of slightly smaller field, and there were less players. So it gave me an opportunity to, to get a little bit better. And, and, of course, when you start out, you work mostly line of scrimmage. So I you know, was working head linesman or line judge. And – you know, I got a good feel, and it was always nice going over to Rio Hondo Prep because it was a very welcoming community. Everybody knew each other there. You know, there was a lot of student involvement, parent involvement. Uh, uh, you know, the coaches were, were, were nice. Players were respectful. Uh, I think we, we mentioned uh, the athletic director, Randall Johnson. Yes. You know, I think he was involved in everything. He coached just about everything there. 
<laughs> but um, so it was fun to go over and work the games. And Rio Hondo Prep was the powerhouse in eight man football at the time. And for eight man football, if there was a 45 point lead at halftime, the game was over. And inevitably, every Rio Hondo Prep home game was a, there was a 45 point lead at halftime. So we, we only ended up working half a game. And we still got paid, you know, whole game fee, which was nice. But uh, yeah, it, it was fun. And it was, I've always enjoyed whatever the sport uh, going over to Rio Hondo Prep. Yeah. And you've worked multiple sports, right? I mean, football's become your, your passion and the thing you you've done the most of, but yeah, you worked some other sports, didn't you? And was it, what other, what were some of the other sports you worked over there? Yeah. I started in San Gabriel in the, the baseball unit. I, I, I had been a, a, a baseball coach at Mayfair high school and my contract ended there. And the school I started working at uh, next, a special education school, didn't have after-school programs. So I was looking at walking on somewhere uh, in the interim, and I saw an ad in the paper for baseball umpires. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just do that for a year, just to see what what it's like, you know. Um, and you know, I went in and went to the meetings and met some uh, some, some good guys, and I started uh, umpiring baseball. I loved it. You know, baseball had been my favorite sport growing up. I played baseball. I loved the game. I was a big Dodger fan. So it sort of came naturally to, to umpire baseball. And then a couple of years later, you know, a couple of the guys said, hey, you know, you should, you should try football. If you think baseball, baseball is fun, football is a lot of fun. And so, you know, this was 1993 and I joined the football association there. And they were right. You know, from the first time I went out to, to observe a game and then work work the freshman games for free, um, I couldn't get enough of it. I was out there every Thursday and Friday afternoon working working uh, freshman and JV games for free. Wow. So had you not worked baseball, there's a strong chance you probably would have never even worked football. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah. If I hadn't seen the ad in the paper and gone to the meetings if i hadn't started officially umpiring baseball i probably would have been a uh, you know a, a frustrated baseball coach somewhere <laughs> <laughs> well there's a lot of those let me tell you uh well well uh well i gotta ask real quick uh i mean you're a big guy frank very tall very very fit very in shape did you get hit by a lot of baseball behind the plate because those high school catchers aren't very big guys uh you know mostly in the lower division when they're, they're just kind of learning the, yeah. you know, learning how to be a catcher. So I, I, I took my lumps. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that one of my baseball mentors, he told me was, you know, the better, and I think this holds true throughout officiating, the higher caliber of, of uh, teams that are playing and the athletes, the easier it is to officiate the game because they're so good. So as far as calling balls and strikes, you know, the pitchers are, are always around the plate. And uh, so it makes it a little bit easier. You just, you know, fine tune your judgment. Same with football. You know, these athletes are so good that their mistakes jump out. And so when you, you know, when those mistakes happen, then, you know, usually it's, it's because, uh, you know, now there's going to be a penalty involved. Um, But those lower division games are where you really learn how to (laughs) officiate. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Well, well, Frank, you, 
speaking of umpiring, right? Like people hear the term umpire, they think it's a baseball term. Uh, well, it is, but it's also a football term. And that's a position that you've worked a lot of. There's seven positions, some, in some cases, eight in college football um, on the field. But one of the positions is referred to as umpire. And that's the position, for those that don't know, that is in the defensive side of the ball, uh, at least in college. And it is around basically the linebackers and in high school as well. That's kind of where the, the umpire is, you know, seven, five, seven yards off the ball or whatever. So you literally are in the middle of things. And uh, a little different than a baseball umpire, but uh, the um, so when we refer to the umpire position, that's what we mean. And was that a position you always knew you would excel at? Did you want to get in the middle there? I mean, being a bigger guy helps, right? This big presence where you're kind of help managing the game. But what can you tell me about jumping into the umpire uh, position? Yeah, early on, uh, the name you might be familiar with, Bob McQueen. Yeah. who was the assigner in St. Gabriel, he told me, he says, you know, you're, you're going to be an umpire. You know, that's going to be your natural position. I said, okay, whatever. I'm just having fun working, you know, line of scrimmage and stuff. And so I, I started observing other, you know, other high school umpires. Phil uh, uh, Jackson, who was a, a, a very well-respected umpire in San Gabriel Valley. Uh, Ken Michalosko, who was referee and umpire. And, you know, it, it, you, like you said, you're right in the middle of the action. You know, the umpire is referred to as the hub. You know, it's the center of the wheel. It's, it's the, the center of all the action. And so, it's, you know, you get involved and you're in with the players and you're away from the coaches and the sidelines. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, but just like a baseball umpire, I think there's two types of uh, umpires in football as well. Uh, as, as, far as, uh, as far as a guy working home plate umpiring and a football umpire, I think there's two types of umpires, those who've, who have been hit and those who have not been hit yet, either by a foul <laughs> ball or by, uh, you know, an offensive lineman. So, I mean, those are some risks, right? Being in the middle there with all the big guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You're you're right. It, it, you're either it, you've been hit, or you've been knocked down, or you haven't been knocked down yet. So it <laughs> it it doesn't come without uh, its risks. But you know you get the hang of it. More often than not, you you, you find a way to to avoid the contact. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, well, Frank, you had a great high school career. Uh, you eventually started working college ball at some point, and. In 2008, you were hired into the Mountain West Conference, which is your first Division I conference. So what was it like, kind of the process to get there? And at what point did you kind of know, all right, I want to pursue this and get to college football and take this as far as I can? I had, um, right around 2000, um, another one of my early mentors from San Gabriel Valley, George Arredondo, he was in the Mountain West, and he recommended that I go to this camp, Reno the Reno football officials camp, which uh, was run by Ken Rivera, who is at the time uh, had just become the supervisor in the mountain West. Uh, and this was in around uh, 2000. Uh, so I went to that and, and it was very, very eye opening because it was all these officials from, from everywhere and they were good. And the, the clinicians, the instructors were, you know, a host of NFL officials, um, a lot of, Division one officials that included Al Corey, who was a longtime Mountain West umpire, and he at the time was the instructional chairman of Foothill Citrus. Um, so I went to that, that camp and I made the decision that you know I wanted to get involved in college football. And 
San Gabriel had no college football uh, instructional program. Foothill Citrus did, so I, did, you know, at that time I made the decision that I, if I was going to take do this, you know, seriously make an effort, I needed to get involved in the college association. So I transferred over to Foothill Citrus, and you know, which which really helped springboard my officiating career. You know, at the time there was Al Corey, who was the Mountain West umpire, Pete Gotro, who was a line of scrimmage uh, official in the Mountain West, Vern Sparling, who was in the Western Athletic Conference. And he was also the assigner, um, along with Jack O'Kane, who was the, the supervisor of officials for the uh, for the SCIAC for the Division Three Conference. And along with that was the reputation that the Foothill Citrus College Association had. So, you know, I made that decision and met those people, started working junior college football, and you know, paid attention to the things that Al had told me, and, and you know, eventually people start. You know, talking your name gets bandied around. I started to work uh, in the Skyac. I got on a crew, and you know, right around um, 2007 high school season and junior college season. You know, Pete Gotro had, had approached me, and told me that Ken Rivera was looking at you know, maybe hiring an umpire the next year, and you know, he said he spoke to Ken about me, as did Al, which was you know very encouraging for me. So that next spring. Ken Rivera invited me to a scrimmage up in uh, at San Jose State, and I went up there along with Michael Ross, who was was very helpful. Kind of showed me the ropes as far as how to travel and and things like that. Uh, and after the day after working that scrimmage, um, Ken called me and, and offered me a position in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. So you know, I owe a lot of that to to guys like Pete and Al Corey and Michael Ross who encouraged me along the way. Tracy McFade, obviously the assigner for the Citrus. Um, so I guess my point is that you can't do it, you really can't do it on your own. And there's a lot of people that help you along the way in one form or another. And, and they all kind of you know said good things about me. And I put all the things that I learned from them to use and put it on display. And, and I was lucky. And, and, uh, the right place at the right time and Ken Rivera hired me and I'll always be grateful to Ken. And that's how I got my start in division one football. Very cool. And, and yeah, the, the Foothill Citrus unit has done tremendous things for guys um, uh, some ver- at various levels now. And it's cool to see that guys got their start at Foothill or in your case, you know, transferred over uh, from San Gabriel and we're in that just in the, it, it really makes you proud to wear, you know, Foothill Citrus, uh, the logo and everything and just proud of everyone who advances uh, well, well, Frank, you worked plenty of big high school games, I'm sure. But do you remember the first time setting foot on a Division One field in the Mountain West? I mean, were you a little nervous? You're like, man, there's there's some more people here, or was it at a a stadium maybe where there wasn't a lot of people? I mean, did your did your juices get flowing a little bit more than they would for a normal Friday night, or kind of what was that experience like for you starting in Division One football? Well, I, I I don't think you could have asked for a better, you know. Uh, initial Division One game than than working at Hawaii, which was my first assignment. It was it was it was a conference game. It was a uh, uh, San Jose State was playing at Hawaii, and the the, the travel restrictions there. We had, you had to get there by Thursday just in case you know something happened. So you had to get there an extra day early. 
you know, of course, there's all the distractions of being in Hawaii and, and you know, I'm a rookie on the crew and I don't think I, I really got much sleep Friday night kind of tossing and turning and, and then it was a it was a night game, six o'clock kickoff. And just all the nerves, all the butterflies building up to that, you know, I don't want to screw up and, and you know, what the, what the heck am I doing out here? And Hawaii came out of their locker room and, and onto the field and made a beeline for the San Jose State sideline. <laughs> and it was, and immediately it was a flashback to some of the junior college games I'd worked, El Camino and Grossmont. You know, and it just felt like I was back home again because I had gone through this working, uh, you know, Southern California junior college football. And, and like people say, it's really true. If you can work junior college football in Southern California, you can work anything. So I felt right at home. And then, the, you know, obviously once, once it kicked off, it was, it was just another football game. So uh, I think all that, that, that training really prepared me, you know, to work in Division One. Oh man, that's outstanding. Yeah, that's, it is funny hearing from guys talk about stuff like that. And in your case, it was a, I don't know if you want to call it altercation or something, but just something that kind of made you realize, hey, this is just like other stuff I've done. And then, yeah, once the football is kicked off, it's like, yeah, this is a football game, maybe a little higher speed, higher level, but uh, it's still fundamentals of everything you've learned and everything. Uh, Really interesting stuff. Well, you eventually... Uh, Frank worked the big 12 a few years later. And I know there was kind of a, a CFO West situation also where you were kind of working multiple conferences, a lot of guys on the West coast, but you eventually ended up in the big 12 in 2011. And I don't know how it all works, but it is, was there a lot of California West coast guys working other conferences that weren't kind of in the West like that, like going over to a conference like the big 12? Yeah, there were, there were quite a few and, you know, for, for, for whatever reasons uh, that, that the Pac-10 at the time, you know, was, you know, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, they had selective hiring, um, but it, it seemed like a lot of officials were, were, were being scooped up by Mountain West, the, 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 the WAC, the Big 12, and then when that turned into the CFOS, that big conglomerate, there were a lot of officials from Southern California who were being hired. And if you look at a lot the officials who have gone through uh, Jack O'Kane, uh, you know, when he was the supervisor of, um, oh man, what was the conference now that folded after a few years? But it's, it's a who's who of football officiating. A lot of NFL officials, Tony Carani, Carl Sheppers, um, Pete Morelli, um, you know, Al Corey worked for him, Pete worked for him, uh, Bill Levy. There are, you know, Hall of Fame officials that, that came through Southern California that didn't get a sniff in the, in the Pac-10 at that time and were, you know, working in, that had worked in the Mountain West and the Big 12. And Walt Anderson, who was the supervisor at the time, uh, didn't really care a whole lot about from where you, you, you know, you came or where you lived as long as you could officiate football. Mm-hmm. And there were some schools in that area, San Diego State, San Jose State, Fresno State, who were part of the CFO West. So he had no qualms about hiring officials uh, on the West Coast. And it was an excellent, excellent training program. Outstanding. Well, uh, eventually you worked there, Big 12, some good, good times there. I'm sure good memories. 
Um, what was ultimately, I guess, the process for you coming back West and working in the PAC 12? Was it a, a, a better opportunity as far as, um, you know, the position, I mean, you play, you umpire, you work the same position, we'll say as an umpire. Mm -hmm. So what was ultimately the, the biggest reason you kind of came back uh, out this direction uh, and working football uh, on Saturdays? Well, it was, it was um, in 2011. That's, that's the, the, when the PAC 10 went to, to, or grew to become the PAC 12. And there were some changes going on in the officiating program uh, the year before, Mike Pereira had had been hired as a consultant to 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 make recommendations. And when they went to twelve teams, Mike Pereira was involved in a lot of the hiring to to fill out the officiating staff. There were like as I mentioned before, there were a lot of guys from the West Coast who were working in the CFO West and in the Big Twelve. And he made a lot of phone calls and asked guys to to come over, and they did. Uh, you know. At that time, you know, I don't think uh, you know, Walt was was Walt Anderson was too happy about it <laughs> because they didn't really weren't really working together. It was kind of uh, well, we need officials, so we're going to ask these guys. Um, the next year, Tony Kareni became the supervisor of the Pac-12, and he worked in conjunction with Walt Anderson and some of the other coordinators. So. And I had always grown up, you know, in the West Coast, Pac-10. I was, I always wanted, you know, my goal once I started officiating was to work in the Pac-10. So Tony and Walt had a relationship from working together in the NFL. And before Tony called me, he he called Walt, and they kind of designed this plan where they were going to start thinking about sharing officials. Ooh. And so, you know, one of the first people that Tony talked to Walt about was was me. And uh, you know, he called and and invited me to join the Pac-12 and I before you know he before he got the words out of his mouth I already said yes and you know then I asked him I said you know just call Walt Anderson and I called him and he he couldn't have been happier he said you know we talked about you and that they had a, a plan in, in place they you know wanted to go in this direction where they would maybe be some regionalization of the officiating staffs unfortunately that didn't work out. And the next year, the SEC started hiring people out, and they didn't go through well. Anyway, that's 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 kind of a soap opera story. That could be for another podcast. But long story short, you know, Tony called me in 2012, and I said, "Yeah, I'd absolutely love to." So it's always been my dream to, you know, officiate in the Pac-12. That's great stuff. Uh, for those that don't know, Tony Carini and at the time Walt uh, Anderson, correct? Walt Anderson, yeah, they were both guys who were white hats in the ref in uh, the NFL. Uh, a lot of football, college football conferences have that where th those aren't the only two guys. There's other guy, uh, conferences that are run by guys who are currently on the NFL field and then running a college conference. So uh, that's pretty common uh, for those of you who might recognize some of those names. And a lot of guys, obviously, when they retire from the NFL, then they're, uh, they're fully in, into the college conferences and everything. So a lot of great influence and training from the college conferences for, for everybody that doesn't quite understand uh, some of the leadership positions and everything. A lot of, a lot of experience uh, towards the top there at a lot of the college conferences. Well, Frank, shortly after you moved over to the PAC 12, uh, you were given a tremendous opportunity. I shouldn't say given, excuse me, you earned 
a tremendous uh, opportunity. And you were selected amongst your other Pac-12 peers to officiate the national championship game in 2013 between Alabama and Notre Dame. And I got to ask you, in getting that assignment, you know, we always, even at the high school level, you love when you see, oh, you have new games and it's a nice yellow, yellow thing on the computer. You say, cool, we got a game to work and you push accept and you get excited about that game. Um, Tell me about that, getting that assignment. Did you guys know kind of in advance in the middle of the season or at what point did you kind of know that not only the Pac-12 was probably getting this game, but also, you know, with position rankings and everything that maybe you had a shot of working it. Yeah, I remember exactly the moment that uh, I knew that Pac-12 was going to get the assignment. Oregon had been ranked, you know, in the top, I think at the time they were either one or two behind Alabama. They were undefeated. And we had finished the game at Colorado. It was, it was actually our last crew game of the season. And we were having a little, you know, crew dinner afterwards in the hotel concierge lounge and the Oregon Stanford game was on. And there was a crucial play at the end of the game uh, where there was a catch, no catch in the, in the back of the end zone oh, for Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that now? Yeah, <laughs> Coming I, do. Back to you, right? I, I sure do. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And, uh, and the ruling I believe on the field was, was uh, I can't remember. If it was, anyway, he went to replay and it came back as a as a completed pass for a touchdown, which put Stanford ahead, and Stanford eventually held on to win that game, knocking Oregon essentially out of that BCS championship game. Meaning, uh, since it had to be a neutral crew, and it, you know it was going to most likely be the Pac-12 since they hadn't had it for a while, so I knew our conference was going to get it. I knew who the line headlinesman would be. Because, um, Patrick Turner, who is now NFL uh, number 13. Uh, he's a head, head down judge in the NFL. He was on our crew, just absolutely one of the best officials I've ever worked with. He's good. I knew, I knew he was <laughs> going to get that game. Yeah. Uh, and I knew I had a shot. And that's, that's kind of all you hope for is, is to have a shot. And, you know, fortunately, I, I graded out uh, at the top and I got the phone call and, uh, you know, it's, it was it was a great feeling, and as soon as I hung up with uh, my supervisor, I said, "Oh my God, what have I gotten myself into?" <laughs> oh man! So uh, I believe the game was in Miami, right? And it was Alabama, yeah. which is a juggernaut, and then Notre Dame, which hadn't been in that uh, in the mix really for a long time. So two very storied programs, and, and uh, I, I think I speak for. Uh, maybe you and other guys, but like when you get that assignment, now you got to kind of wait for the game, right? Isn't that, what uh, was it? Nerve wracking. Yeah. Tell me about that experience <laughs> waiting for it. Yeah. Five weeks of uh, sitting around <laughs> watching everybody else, you know, work bowl games. Oh man. <laughs> um, you know, and the, you know, it's all the hype to build up the game is Alabama and Notre Dame. And of course, these, these two programs have huge following. Um, so I, I would get together with, with Patrick. He's local. He's in, he's in uh, Bellflower. And we would just kind of break down film and look at some of the tendencies and try and stay involved. We try and stay in shape, you know, running on the field and doing anything. But it's really nothing 
can substitute for actual, you know, game time, uh, taking snaps. So it was just, it seemed like an eternity until we got to uh, that week. And then getting into Miami a few days early, it was, uh, it was like Mardi Gras. <laughs> you know, it was a sea of red and a sea of, of gold. Uh, people all, all, all along South Beach, you know, enjoying themselves, having a good time, trying to find tickets. It was it was a really really great atmosphere um, for for that particular game, and then everything after that was just kind of a blur. And it was just like my first Division One game, where you know all the butterflies and you know the preparation. God, please don't let me screw up in front of you know national TV. And then you get on the field and they kick it off, and it's now it's just another football game. <laughs> Absolutely. Um... Uh, you're somebody, I mean, all the officials say hello to the, to the coaches at, at one point or another before the game. Um, but, but you and the referee typically go up and talk to the coaches beforehand to kind of get, you know, uh, for the formal introductions, if you will, uh, two, two coaches there. And again, I don't need any, no specifics or, or, you know, trade secrets or anything, but as far as, I mean, Nick Saban and Chip, not Chip Kelly, Brian Kelly, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Two guys that from a distance look like pretty intense guys. And then you're going up to these guys before the biggest game of their life. And it's the biggest game of your life. I mean, did you feel any kind of tension or, or nervousness going up to those guys and, and talking to them before the game? You know, not so much. And what we did in the Pac-12 was when, when Tony Carini took over, he changed the pregame meeting to, to, uh, to mimic what the NFL does. And what they what they do is they send their sideline officials to talk to the head coach. So, um, you know, our, our referee went over, just made the introduction. I didn't have to go with them. Oh, beautiful! <laughs> and and that line of scrimmage, yeah, the, the the line of scrimmage official and the deep side on, on um, did all the talking. They did the, the whole pregame speech with the coach. What we did do is is on the field result in you know 60 minutes before the game when the teams are out there. Everyone else went up and introduced themselves to the to the coach. So I I went over to, to Nick Saban and you know extended my hand and said you know congratulations, coach. Good luck. Uh, have a great game. And that and that was about it. You know he was he was polite, um, very very intense. Uh, you know several times I went over to speak to their line coach and as soon as he saw me go in to talk to somebody, he came right over. He wanted to hear what I was saying. So he he knows everything that's going on. And and Brian Kelly was. The same, very polite. He seemed very relaxed. You know, hi, how you doing? Where are you from? Um, you know, and told him Los Angeles. Oh, okay, you wish me luck, and that was about it. Wow, cool stuff. And uh, you know, that game, for those that don't remember, it was pretty much a blowout. I mean, Alabama jumped on yeah. him early, and so uh, it was a lot of game management at that point, I'm sure. Uh, and like you said, you, you kind of answered a lot there with saying it was a blur, very similar to just say, let's get to the game. I can't imagine, Frank, I, I mean, a month and a half, almost two months of, of waiting, <laughs> waiting for that big a game to happen. Jeez, that's just yep. crazy, man. Yeah, well, it, uh, it drives me crazy. <laughs> for sure. Things people don't think about, right? Things people don't think about the, exactly. the officials got to go through. Uh, well, Frank, in recent months here in 2020, uh, January of this year, um, 
kind of before 2020 started to be this awful year, um, <laughs> you, had, again, you earned, uh, had, had the privilege to be assigned another national championship game. And uh, I think all college football fans listening to this know that, you know, that was, this is the most recent championship game. It was between LSU and Clemson. And what can you tell me about uh, that experience, getting the call and just the, the entire uh, overall picture? Well, it, it, again, you know, you, you kind of have a feeling, and I think anyone who's competed, you know, they, they, they know, you reflect back on your season, you, you know, if you, you know, how you did, you kind of have your, a sense of how you did. And again, I felt that I had a strong year and uh, I was fortunate to, to get the phone call. And this, this game kind of had a, a, a different sort of pressure added to it. There had been a lot of controversy with the past. You know, there was, there was replay gate, you know, there's a lot of media attention in, in, in some high profile Pac-12 games that, you know, reflect, reflected poorly on, on the officiating. So leading up to that game, most of the media was kind of uh, talking about all that, about the, issues the Pac-12 officiating had had. So going into that game, the crew, and it was a veteran crew, we knew what we were facing. And I think to a man, I know that everyone involved in that game had the mindset going in that we were going to, you know, show everyone in the country that, that the Pac-12 is a very strong conference uh, as far as the officiating goes. So we were, it was almost as if we had a tip on our shoulder. So going into that game, we were all very well prepared. It was in New Orleans. Of course, there was a lot of distractions, but everyone was was, was ready for, to do business. Then there was the added um, issue of, of the, the president being at the game, which was kind of a last minute thing, uh, which, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say it threw a wrench into our plans, but it, it just kind of made things a little bit more stressful. We had to get there a little earlier. We were surrounded by Secret Service all the time. We couldn't necessarily get into our pregame routine because we were restricted to our room. You know, he was in the room right next to us. So we really couldn't uh, have access to, to go out and warm up like we had normally done. So things were slightly different, but, you know, those are just little issues that, you know, stand out. But in the overall picture, it was, you know, fantastic in the Superdome. It was packed. You know, it was it was in the South. Football reigned supreme there, and it was just two really good teams coming out to play football. And uh, and I think we, the crew, did a, did a very good job. And you know, the game the game went smoothly. I think uh, you know I'm someone who watches the officials very close, and I I think the crew did a phenomenal job, and there was a ton of pressure on you guys. Well, not pressure, but just the, the media, they're talking heads and everyone wants to try to dissect everything. And there was a lot of uh, criticism of the Pac-12 going into that game. And, and honestly, as, a, as an impartial guy, uh, I think the crew did a, a great job in, in the game. Kind of just the officiating wasn't a, a, a subject. It wasn't a, it wasn't a story, which is, which is great. And, and I got to say, Frank, you know, coming from – you know, La Puente High School, working a game there was my first memory of you. Then to work in, in New Orleans and the president of the United States is in the very next room. I mean, talk about a contrast. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
Hey, but you know that that game, the La Puente and the Nogales schools, that was the most important game to them. So yes, it was absolutely. You know, there's there, there's pressure there too. Oh, absolutely. Every game's a big game to somebody, man. I I, I believe that firmly. And uh, <laughs> well, awesome stuff. I mean, it was it was a great game. I mean, Clemson LSU. To if I remember, I mean, it wasn't uh, didn't go down the last play or anything, but but it was it was a pretty good game back and forth at least at least early on, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was uh, back and forth pretty much until mid midway into the fourth quarter, I think. That's kind of when LSU pulled ahead. But um, yeah, it was just very exciting to be a part of that game, and and it just went by too quickly. <laughs> Always a blur, absolutely. Uh, well, Frank, something else you've been involved in outside of college football is. Um, you know, as a former minor league umpire, I'm very cautious how I label these leagues. Uh, I, I don't like the term semi-pro. I think that's like, okay, you see they're professional or not, but uh, you work the Alliance, uh, Amer- Alliance of Amer- American Alliance of Football. I'm trying to remember the term. I know it's the AAF. Yeah, the Alliance of American Football. Okay, you worked that in, uh, let me see, not this most recent 2018. Spring. Okay. No, 2019. Okay, and then yeah. and then you also worked the most recent XFL season. So, what can you tell yeah. me about kind of your experiences there in in working professional football at that level with a couple of these leagues that people weren't sure were going to take off or not? Just kind of if you could speak on each one. Sure, the the alliance they they were really trying to put a product out on the field that 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 emphasized offense, and the rules were were such that uh, there were a lot of restrictions put on defenses, how they could, you know, what, what kind of defensive formations they could present. They, you know, they only could to rush a certain amount of people. So it was designed to pr- basically to protect the quarterback and, and to promote scoring. And, you know, that was a great idea. The, the players were really excited about it. You know, it gave them an opportunity to extend their careers. And I recognized a lot of uh, players from, you know, from around the country, from the Pac-12, and they recognized me because of the Oakley prescription glasses I wear. <laughs> and, you know, I got a chance to talk to a few of them. And, and, and for the most part, they were, you know, they, they enjoyed it. And then, obviously, with, with the financial issues that started around mid-season, you know, things changed. And, and it's unfortunate that they didn't have, you know, the financial backing to see it through. Which you know anyone knows, it's a huge endeavor to put that kind of product out in the field. So then this next year, the XFL uh, that was run by Vince McMahon and you know the WWE, in it partnered with with Fox and NBC. So they had TV money, which which the Alliance didn't have, and they were able to um, put that product. They were using some NFL stadiums. Uh, they were paying them the players a little bit better, and they didn't really change the rules much at all. Uh, well, aside from the kickoff, which I really liked. Yeah, that you know, was they, cool. They, they, cha- they changed they changed the kickoff and just a few other minor tweaks, but it was, it was basically football. And again, it was you know most of the players from the alliance you know came to play the XFL, and, and it, it it got better. You know, it was a little at first there was a period of adjustment. Um, you know, the, the play was maybe a little sloppy, but it started to pick up momentum. You know, there was more scoring. Teams were getting better. And, you know, then the pandemic and everything got cut short. So it, it was unfortunate, but it, but it was fun. 
And at the same time, you know, those guys are out there trying to earn a living and try and make it to the next level, to the NFL. So from the officiating standpoint, uh, you know, we're, we're now looked on as, as officials too. And not that we're going to make or break any careers, but, you know, we have to, to look at it in the same way. These guys are, this is their livelihood. So we need to be on top of our game as well. And, and it, it's just a lot of fun. You know, everybody was on the same team because we're all part of that organization. Yeah, it was definitely unique. I, I did like that kickoff they did in the XFL, a lot, lot different than just eliminating a kickoff. Uh, but what, what was the process, Frank, for, for guys, the officials to get involved there? Was it, was it strictly guys that were just selected based off of their, their college assignments? Uh, I saw a lot of big names, obviously, who, who were college football. You know, Reggie mm-hmm. Smith sticks out. And, uh, you know, big-time college football guys in the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and all this stuff. Or was there some type, I wouldn't say a tryout, but was there a, there a selection process or how did they grab guys for those leagues? Yeah. Uh, they, they, Dean Blandino was, was uh, the, in charge of officiating for the XFL. Uh, and he had some involvement along with Mike Pereira in the Alliance. And like you said, they, they went around to the, to the conferences and they looked at officials who, with whom they were familiar and talked to supervisors and whatnot. And, selected on need. And what, what the Alliance and the XFL also did was they wanted to promote diversity in officiating and they incorporated uh, bringing in a lot of women officials throughout the country. So in the XFL, each crew had a female official, whether, uh, uh, and some had two, uh, one on the field and there were a couple of crews who had some female replay officials. And they were looking at it as a kind of a training ground for NFL officials. And the NFL didn't have any direct involvement, but they make recommendations. You know, they, they, there are NFL scouts and, and NFL trainers in various areas and, and have different conference affiliations. And they make suggestions, um, you know, to, to, to Dean Blandino about officials who, who they think uh, have the potential to move up. So uh, they, they get, um, they got selected, they got a chance to work in the XFL and, and everybody else that's, you know, kind of like, um, you know, I, I guess kind of like an all-star uh, team uh, yeah. from different conferences, if, if that's what you, how you mm-hmm. want to put it. Yeah. Well, well, I hope that, you know, 20, there's a lot of changes in 2021 and, and I'm hopeful mm-hmm. that there are some more opportunities for guys to work in those leagues uh, and, the, and the players too, a place for those guys to play that are kind of in that in between and just trying to, to find a spot. I, I think um, professional football doesn't just have to be NFL. I think it's great when there's other options there for guys. So hopefully we'll see it again here uh, next season. Um, Frank, let's take a break from football for just a couple seconds. I have two, two non-football, re- well, one's kind of football related, but uh, the first one, um, I remember when the LA Kings made a pretty good run a couple of years ago, uh, multiple times, uh, you know, there's LA Kings fans and then there's diehard Kings fans. And, and I mean, I, I you said you were a Dodger fan earlier on and everything, but uh, you, you really jumped out to me as someone who was a pretty big LA Kings fan when they were making those runs, winning multiple Stanley cups and hockey's a game I've really gotten into a lot more the past few years. I've always liked it, but uh, Kings hockey, of course. And I mean, what, what can you say about your time as an LA Kings fan? And man, it's been a rough couple of years. That's for sure. 
Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, my first experience with hockey was, you know, back at the forum, the fabulous forum with, uh, you know, Bernie Nichols and Dave Taylor, uh, the triple crown line. My, my dad used to get tickets. He had a friend, um, he would comp some tickets. And I, back then I really don't think that, you know, anyone had to give people tickets because, uh, you know, they, their, their attendance is pretty poor. Anyway, you know, I was a eight, nine year old kid, I guess, going to, to hockey games and I loved it. It was great. And so ever since then, you know, I was a big fan of hockey and a big fan of the Kings. And it was great to see them, you know, achieve success. I, for, for me, by far, hockey is the most fun uh, spectator sport. I love going to watch hockey game. The action, the speed, uh, the physicality of the game, it's, it's just incredible. Those guys are, are amazing athletes. And so are the officials. You know, the linesmen who have to go in there and break up the fights and get in between the players when they're mucking it up in the corners. These guys really earn their money. Oh, man. So, you know, if, if I could choose any other, you know, officiating uh, avocation, it would, it would be hockey. I'd love to be a hockey official, but, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> well, well. I can you... skate backwards, but not, not well enough. Oh, okay. Okay, there you go. Well, I mean, like, Frank, you, you, you are in the middle of a lot of fights or altercations, what we'll call them, whatever, physical tussles in a, in a, <laughs> in a football game. But can you imagine doing that on skates? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. not, not. Not at all. Those guys are something, man. I don't know yeah, how they do it. it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's 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 great. I, I, you know, love hockey. The the Miracle on Ice was was fantastic. You know, when Gretzky came to Los Angeles, that really changed the landscape of of you know hockey. Created so many more hockey fans in Southern California. You know, and the Mighty Ducks, even that. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see a lot more kids playing roller hockey and ice hockey in Southern California. It's it's just uh, it, it it's a fantastic sport. It very yeah, it is a lot, and I've grown. It's grown with me a lot, and I'm kind of looking at other sports now a little differently. But uh, I I just like that it's it's a it's a no BS sport. Like it's a simple game in theory. Put the puck in the net, but there's no fake tough guy stuff out there. It's like you you need to hold your own. Or at least you got a teammate or someone in there that that's gonna step stay stick up for you. Uh, I just think there's a toughness in hockey that uh, anyone can kind of appreciate if they really watch it. Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to be. You have to. You know, you have to hold your own. And you know, back again. You know, I speak back in the day. There were a lot more. You know, enforcers. You know, like Marty McSorley, of course, back in the day and. Uh, you know, Tiger Williams even going farther back to Kings, but everybody had their role um, in the hockey team. And, and, you know, you can, you can get into the discussion about whether there should be fighting hockey or not, but, you know, it kind of over the years, it, it you know, kind of had its purpose and, and it's just the physical nature of that, of the game. And like you said, you, you can't be a uh, faint hearted and, uh, play professional hockey <laughs> no not at all it's uh, it's a great sport and man i hope the la kings can turn it around here in, in the next year because oh man they've been so bad for, it's like come on man be in the mix at least get to the playoffs do something anyway uh well that's great frank uh yeah la kings hockey we talk with you about that anytime uh and one other thing i have uh well we have a a colleague we'll say who we've both worked games with and uh and for me in 
in uh, baseball and you in football, but he's actually here every Wednesday and his opinions aren't for everyone. He's a little, he's pretty, you know, he's pretty strong with the things he says, but not Bill, Bill. Bill Barnes. <laughs> yeah, not Bill. Bill Barnes is a weekly guest here on the show. And I know you've worked some football with Bill. And I think the last time I saw you two together, you guys were speaking at a basketball meeting uh, for Foothill Citrus. Uh, we, we brought you guys in to talk about officiating from, two different sports perspectives, basically. So uh, what, what would you say about, uh, what, what do you got to say about Bill Barnes? He said to say hello. I told him I was interviewing yeah. you. So I was like, well, let's let Frank say it. I hate to to follow Bill. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I never want to follow Bill again because he's great. He's a natural, you know, he just commands the room. He's got great stories. I, I think baseball traditionally, and it, it just kind of lends itself to, these great stories, you know, the, the manager can come out and get in the face of the umpire yeah. and, you know, you can, you can argue. And I've, I've had that a little bit in, in high school. And, you know, I, I know some of the things that managers do. I mean, I've had managers come up with coaches come up and say, I told me out, you know, uh, an Arcadia high school coach who I won't name, but I knew him <laughs> from the area for a long time. He said, you know, Hey, dump me. I need to go to Santa Anita. No, I need to get there no. by, you know, before the, before the race is out. And, you know, if you don't, I'm going to, I'm going to go. All right. You know, so he's got all these great stories and he's a, he's a great personality and, uh, you know, a, a fun guy. He was a good crewmate, good football official. And, uh, you know, I, I respect what he did and, and what he, what he has done and what he continues to do for the, you know, the application of officiating. Oh yeah. No, he's a, he's a big fan of officiating and I love talking with him about a lot of things. He told me, we started talking football once. I was actually, I just randomly went to his final football game. He was officiating a high school game at Citrus college, actually charter Oak, El Dorado, uh, CIA final can't remember the year, but uh, before I even met Bill, didn't know who he was. And then later on we started talking football and he said, yeah, I was on this amazing Skyac crew, this division three crew where all the guys on it now are like, Division one football guys, including yourself. I mean, someone I have great respect for. Uh, Rich Hanna was a guy, a big mentor in my life. Um, mm-hmm. But just in a, he he named off the crew, and I was like, "Wow, Bill, what were you doing there?" Because there's some great <laughs> football officials. <laughs> yeah, Richard Hanna, Clay Renard, who's now in the NFL. Uh, Marvell July is in the Big Twelve. Oh man. Uh, Vic Winnick, who's is now replaying the Big Sky. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a uh, something else. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, the game worked itself there, let me tell you. Uh, well, good stuff. Yeah, I thought we'd bring up Bill Barnes just to uh, take a little breather here. But kind of back to football now, uh, Frank, you've recently made the, the position change to referee, the head referee of a Pac-12 crew, the guy that wears the white hat and carries a lot of weight on your shoulders just with uh, being the crew chief, basically. So was this something – uh, you were, you wanted to do, you were looking forward uh, to do uh, embracing the challenge. What are some of the challenges in moving forward in moving to the referee position for you? Yeah, I, I several years ago, I decided, you know, I've been thinking about it. Um, you know, what, 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 what's the next challenge? You know, what do I want to do? Do I want to stay an umpire and, and, you know, the longevity of being an umpire, you know, it isn't all that great being in, being in the middle. Uh, so I, you know, I, I, I mentioned to my supervisor, you know, at the end of every year, they ask, you know, what are your plans? What do you, 
you know, what do you, what do you see happening next year, the next five years? So I mentioned that and um, our, our supervisor, David Coleman has um, what he calls, you know, an official de officiating development program for the PAC-12 and he has several identified several officials to um, be potential referees. So we would work games in the spring and we had some, what we call scramble games where there are more PAC-12 games than we have crews to cover. So we use officials from either the big sky or from, from other conferences. And that's given him the opportunity to assign um, some of us to referee those games. So, you know, I was fortunate enough last year where I was able to uh, uh, referee a game in Oregon, uh, week three. And then there was a conflict later in the season and I got to work uh, again, referee at Oregon State. So I had been kind of thinking about that, preparing myself to make that transition if it, if it happened and it did. And, and again, it's kind of, you get that phone call and it's like, it's, it's just that feeling, oh, that's great. And uh, what have I gotten myself into? You know, be, be careful what you wish for type <laughs> of scenario. Yeah. Because it, it's different. Now it's the responsibility of being the crew chief is something that is, is an entirely different animal from just, you know, being on a crew and showing up and doing your, your, your part to participate. But along the way, I'd kind of been preparing myself and I was fortunate enough to, to work with Steve Strimling for the, for the last eight, nine years before he became a referee. He was a field judge on the crew that we were on. And then he was promoted to referee. And Steve is, is an excellent, uh, crew chief manages the game very well, and he has a great way of, of managing the crew and the personalities. You know, as you know, if you're working with nine other people, not everybody's going to get along perfectly. Not everyone has the same judgment, uh, and so their issues arise. And Steve did a very good job of handling that, and he also has a great way with the coaches. So you know, I learned from him. I learned from other people, and. I felt that this is something that I, that I could do and something that I wanted to do to, to kind of, you know, prolong my career and, and, and to create another challenge. Yeah. And, you know, you are someone at the umpire position that typically gets a lot of airtime, we'll say, on the camera because you're in the middle of everything. But the referee, you know, gets a lot too because he has all the penalty announcements. So I was really looking forward to turning on the TV and seeing you uh, give a penalty uh, announcement in your upcoming uh, Pac-12 season. But unfortunately, the, the Pac-12, Frank, has uh, decided to at least postpone football till the springtime, uh, to my knowledge. I don't, I don't think it's officially canceled, but I could be wrong. Um, what, what is kind of the mood of Pac-12 officials? I know you guys talk almost year-round, I'm sure. But here we are in August, and the season should be starting in a week, maybe two even. And – you guys aren't scheduled to work to my, you know, to my knowledge, uh, again, unless you're working somewhere else. What, what is it like? What's the mood of Pac-12 officials right now in not having a season to look forward to or maybe look forward uh, months down the road with a potential spring season? You know, it's, it's very disappointing for, for all of us and, and football fans in general. I think that, that you know, the, the season – unfortunately, has been canceled. Um, and, 
we're, we're all obviously we're all disappointed. We understand the reasoning why the PATCO made the decision, the conference made the decision that they did. Doesn't make it any easier. We were prepared to officiate games. We, we, we knew that we might have to, to spend an extra day in the city ahead of time. We, we knew we would have to get tested. And we also had the opportunity to opt out if, if we felt that it was going to be pose a threat to our, 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 our health and the health of our families. But I think everyone feels the disappointment, but understands what, what I think what really kind of gets under our skin is that there are three other conference, you know, three of the other uh, Power Five conferences going to play football, mm-hmm. and we're going to be left out watching them. You know, no, no, you know, we don't hold any grudges to the officials who are working those conferences, but it's it's going to be a, a, a kind of a weird, sad feeling sitting on the couch watching a Big 12 game with uh, a lot of the people, a lot of our friends who are, who are working. Hopefully it, it works out for them. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen until they start playing, but I think we all kind of feel that way. We're, we're, we're disappointed and it's going to be hard to, to sit and watch our, our peers work in these games. Yeah. And, and, you know, football for guys like you, Frank, it, it's a year round thing. It's almost a year round business, really. Uh, whether you're going to all these different camps um, in your case, you were working in the Alliance and the XFL, but, what people don't understand is that there's so much more that goes into football officiating than those 12 Saturdays uh, plus a bowl game or something. It is, it's a constant discussion. I can't imagine all the zoom calls that you are on in a typical year, all the different camps. Every time I saw you, you were somewhere in some other state at some camp or clinic talking football. Uh, Just what can you speak of as far as the commitment level to college football that it's one of those sports where it's, it's 12 days a year, we'll say. It's just 12 four-hour sessions, but yet it's talked about and prepared for all season, all year long. Yeah, uh, it, it is all, all year long. It's, and I think it somewhat reflects what's, what's going on in society now. When you look at uh, you know, club, club baseball, club soccer, uh, everything is, is now – Pretty much year-round, uh, even football, seven-on-seven. Seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of desire for student athletes to get out there and, and, and hone their craft and, and get better and get the chance to play at, you know, the highest levels, get a scholarship, move on to wherever. And so I think that carries over to the fishing. You know, I, I can say this, and I know that there are a lot of my colleagues in officiating who would say, agree 100%. I would hate to be an official now trying to get into to a conference because the competition is so great. You know, looking back to the, the, the Reno camp in 2000, yeah, there were a lot of guys and there were a lot of guys from those camps that, that made it up to the next level. And then it just started growing. So now when you look at everyone that's going to these camps, um, they're all in great shape. They're young. You know, they, they, they work a lot of football and, and how do you, how do you, how do you choose? You know, the, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you make that decision? And that's one of the things that I see when I go, uh, you know, help instruct at, at uh, these numerous off season uh, camps and clinics. It's just amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, a hunger for for football officiating, and guys are very passionate about it, and invest a lot of time outside of the season uh, to in the involvement in it. Much like players and coaches do. So it's a year-round sport to be uh, to be certain for sure. Uh, well, a couple other things that you recently uh, you were telling me you got um, I guess selected for is the uh, NFL officiating development program. So what, what can you tell me uh, about what that process has been like and, and what that exactly means for, for our listeners? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great surprise. Uh, it's, it, uh, what that is, is the NFL is, is, uh, brings on a group of, of officials from around the country into their developmental program in the hopes that when a, the, the active officials retire, uh, move on, that they have officials in place that can then move right in. So we are, uh, this year we're, we're part of the, the training process. We have access to a lot of their weekly rule studies meeting. For instance, uh, here on the West Coast, uh, Sean Hockley, a former Foothill Citrus uh, official, the current NFL referee, he and Tony Carrenti and, and Carl Chuppers, the Southern California referee, they lead uh, a weekly off-season rule study group where they, week by week they break down the rules and they go to test questions with, uh, you know, the, the other active officials who wish to join. So we have access to that. And then we get access to their trainings. Uh, we were invited to the clinic. Fortunately, this year was virtual. So we had a virtual one-day clinic with uh, the NFL trainers and Walt Anderson, who is the, the supervisor on field officiating for the NFL. Uh, I believe he's the vice president of, of officiating is his title. But we get that next level of training and it's just an added benefit. And of course, you know, everyone who's on that list, the ODP list hopes that one day that, you know, an opportunity for them uh, will, will, will arise and, and we can, move into someone's spot. You know, that had always been my dream. And I remember when I was hired by Ken Rivera, he said, you know, it's good to have goals. You need to have goals and, and aspirations. You know, you should aspire to, to be a division one official and you can dream about being an NFL official, <laughs> you know, because it's really hard to get in there. And, and you know, God has afforded the opportunity in this program and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's, it's probably harder to make it as an official in the NFL than, than it is a player. Uh, but it's, you know, certainly going along the way, it's just that added benefit of learning more from, from the best of the best, which is, yeah. which is what I really enjoy. Oh, yeah. I mean, knowledge and learning, it's a big part of the, the game. And I know you're, you're someone that takes in a lot, but you give a lot back as well. Um, whether it be to high school guys, uh, college clinics and everything. That's, that's wonderful stuff. And yeah, with, with the whole COVID season approaching, there's been a lot of uh, officials who have uh, opted to take the season off and that's understandable. And, but it's opened some doors for some guys who, who have, you know, been involved in the officiating development program who are going to get some opportunities here. So I think that's the silver lining is to get guys opportunities, much like we're seeing in, uh, the major league baseball with a lot of triple a umpires getting, getting opportunities mm -hmm. to work games. So it's, it, it's, it's a good thing. I think overall that, that guys are getting a taste. And so I hope you get that taste there uh, soon, Frank. I know you got a lot of people rooting for you to, 
to get up there and uh, show us what you got. Well, yeah, <laughs> and it would it would be fantastic. It would be a, a dream come true. But you know, like I said, that that that's a that's a dream, and and one of the, you know, it's kind of cliche, and and you know, if you've ever been to a camp, you'll hear, and if, you know, one of the clinicians tell you, be happy where you are, be the best that you can be at you know at, at your level and you know it, it's true and it's, it's kind of easy for me to say that because you know, I'm kind of in my dream place but I remember working high varsity you know I wanted to be a varsity high school official and I tried to you know get better so I could be there and when I was when I was a varsity official I loved it Friday night lights there's still nothing like working a, a Friday night varsity high school football game with the cheerleaders and the band and you know, the popcorn, the bald boys, the little kids, uh, you know, and then, and then moving into junior college football, wanting to work, a, you know, a junior college bowl game or a playoff. And it's, you know, you really just have to enjoy it, try and be as good as you can and, and pass along what you've learned. And like I said earlier, I wouldn't be where I am today had it not been for those people I mentioned. I can. I have a huge list of people that, that helped me along the way, and I think it, it's you know it's incumbent on, upon me to do the same thing to help whoever I can if if they want my help to, to get better, not just for their own personal development, but overall for the officiating community. Amen to that, sir. Great stuff. Are you on a row machine or something there, Frank? And what do you got? We're doing a workout here at the same time? What is I, that? I, I think it's the fan in the background. Oh, football. okay. I was like, man, he's getting to work in here during the uh, – <laughs> that's how he stays in such good shape, man. Unbelievable. No. Okay, just a fan. Now, we're finishing up. It's all good. But, uh, well, well, Frank, I think that what you just said is is – totally on point. It's something that, that you're passionate about is giving back and encouraging others to, to, to give back. And you always said when you were instructing or talking to other guys, Hey, bring someone with you, you know, take someone along, uh, be, be the mentor that you always wanted people, you know, in your, in your career. So uh, I think it's great. And it's very uh, symbolic of, you know, how society could be better, be better as well. If people just help each other out, it was someone who's interested in your field and your line of work and, uh, just go right, go right away, uh, right along the, bring them along the way. And, and obviously they will uh, step up and perform uh, admirably, I'm sure. But uh, Frank, anything else? I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you and talking football. I'm a football junkie, even though I'm not officiating it currently. Uh, it's fun. So much fun talking football 365, uh, much like you do uh, every single year. No, I th thank you for the opportunity. Again, I, I you know, I think, like you said, the message I have is is for people who are out there, you know, your audience who may not uh, have much insight into officiating, talk to an official. Next time you're at a game or you're at a you know, basketball game, football game, baseball game, just go up and say hi to the officials and, and get to know them and maybe give it a shot sometime. We're, yes. we're, we're human. We, we do make mistakes. But I think, you know, all the officials are out there because they want to be a part of the game, be a part of the sport they love. And, and, and they're, they're doing their best for the athletes on the field. So, you know, get involved. Um, 
try volunteer for Little League, for AYSS soccer, whatever the case may be. Uh, like you said, it, it, it helps make, you know, our, our younger kids better citizens when they have, you know, when they see adults out there who are really trying to make a difference and, and, and make the game fair for everyone. Very well said, sir. Well, Thanks again, Frank. Great memories, great stories. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next chapter of your officiating career. You got a lot of people following you and cheering for you. And uh, yeah, man, just, just an absolute blast. And, and I want to say thank you for making my officiating experience when I was working football, uh, just, just a tremendous experience and learning all the time and, and just teaching me that it's important to be hungry and continue to learn and just get better in, in every uh, not only every day on the football field, but just in everything we do. So thank you for joining us and thank you for uh, being a mentor to me in my football officiating journey. That was my pleasure. And I, and I thank you for, for taking me on this journey along with you. <laughs> well, have a good one, Frank. We will talk to you very soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Frank VR, for joining us on the program and for sharing your football story. It was so awesome to hear all the different levels you've gone through, all the different relationships you've established and had along the way. And you are a very humble person, Frank. Uh, I know this from talking to you, and, and I hope the listeners got to hear that today in your voice. Uh, you're just a humble guy. You're someone who will do anything for uh, anyone out there, and, and a lot of football officials have looked to you for guidance over the years, and you continue to give back so much of your time to younger officials and the game of football. So thank you so much for sharing all that with us, and I want to say thank you, Frank, for my football career. I'm not saying it's over yet, but it's, it's, uh, it's on hold for now, but I do want to say thank you for all of the guidance you gave me over the years. Uh, you were definitely someone, first day I met you as my first year instructor that had a big impact on me and really got me to get the wheels turning, if you will, and really look forward into pursuing this uh, thing of officiating, not just in football, but in other sports as well. So thanks, Frank. I wish you nothing but the best. I hope the college football season uh, is, is here for you soon, the Pac-12 season, that is, and that you're uh, wearing the white hat out on the Pac-12 gridiron very soon, and we're looking forward to uh, the next step in your career, and I just know there's many more goals that you're going to accomplish uh, along the way. So we're all rooting for you, Frank. Thank you for joining us, and I'm looking forward to talking with you again very, very soon. Well, guys, tomorrow's Wednesday, and we know what that means. Bill Barnes is back again for the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. Bill Barnes is a retired police officer and a retired college baseball umpire. He brings very strong opinions and some random thoughts. I have some bullet points and some current event topics I'm going to discuss with him. For those of you who don't know about Bill Barnes and the weekly Wednesday weigh-in, I can just tell you this. It's a very different show from our usual episodes on Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays and Fridays. Uh, Bill Barnes and I have done over 20 episodes now on the podcast, and it's always a fun getting together, chatting with Bill on Wednesdays as we just discuss uh, some random things, get get some things off our chest as well. So if you've heard Bill Barnes before, you know what to expect. And for those who have not heard Bill Barnes, well, I can just tell you it's a very different show. It's not for everyone, uh, but for those who do chime in on Wednesdays, I, I, Wednesdays, I think they do get uh, a real kick out of some of the things we discuss. And maybe the line is crossed a little bit here and there, but it's all in good fun. Just, just straddling the line, uh, if you will, here and there. But anyway, looking forward to Bill Barnes 
tomorrow and the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. Be sure to tune in with us if you're free. Well, guys, there's many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you. So if you want to send us an email, that's the best way to reach us. It helps keep us, uh, helps us keep everything organized. If you reach out to us through the social media platforms, that's just fine as well. Main reason we have the social media platforms is for exposure for the show to uh, get out our episodes to our audience, uh, you know, if they don't get notifications otherwise. But it's also a way for us to promote the show. Typically, we put a picture out of the upcoming guest the night before, just so you guys kind of know who to expect the following day. Give you a face with a voice, if you will, and just to give you a heads up. So if you'd like to follow us on those social media platforms, give us a like, give us a follow. We would greatly appreciate it. We would love to hear from you. As I said with an email, if you have a question, a comment, a suggestion for a topic, anything, uh, you can do so by sending us an email. And I know Bill Barnes loves to hear from people as well. So uh, if you do send an email in, typically by Tuesday afternoon, Bill Barnes should be able to answer it. And that said, if you want to have your voice heard on the program, literally, you can send in a voice message, whether it's through the Anchor app or anchor.fm. Look for our podcast, Get Home Safe, then look for the green message button. It's a one-minute limit. You can uh, record your voice. I can record. I could put that into our episode, much like a caller calling into a show. If you don't want to do that, you could send me a voice text message, same type of situation. So if, for those of interested, uh, definitely give it, give it a try. A few people have uh, chimed in, and we like hearing from them, just like you hear from us every single day here on the Get Home Safe podcast, Monday through Friday, that is. We take a couple days off for the weekend, but we're here every single day monday through friday putting out fun interviews fun topics of conversation for you guys and we greatly appreciate your listenership well guys that will wrap up today's show thanks for joining us once again looking forward to some fun with bill barnes tomorrow on the weekly wednesday weigh-in a big thank you once again to mr frank vr all the best in continued success and guys no matter what you're doing whether you're out on the town or around in third base get home safe <laughs>